Thanks for being here. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being here with us, Melissa. Um, suggestion for a campaign. Um, instead of change for life, you could try Bitcoin for life. Um, you might uh, see, you know, some growth in your in the investments there. That could be a way to go. Um, so I love Life Forward. My wife works for Life Forward. And so this is not merely because my family's, uh, my wife works there, but uh, very much I have seen firsthand the impact of what they do. And so uh, please take your Bitcoin, your checks, your cash, your change, whatever you got, fill it up, a baby bottle uh, or two or 10, and uh, we'll, we'll send a wheelbarrow full of cash over there sometime in the next month or so. All right, we're uh, moving through our series in the book of Luke, um, which is all about the life of Jesus. And I got a fascinating story for us today to look at. It's about Jesus as he grew up from a boy into a man great story. Apart from this story, we know nothing else about Jesus's childhood. The Gospels all start with baby Jesus, and then they just kind of jump into grown-up Jesus, except for this story in the Gospel of Luke that gives us this glimpse into his childhood. Um, and this is about when Jesus was 12 years old. And so this is like a little window, this story, into Jesus's self-awareness from a very young age of his identity as the Messiah. And this, this text also gives us insight into Jesus' relationship with his mom and his dad, uh, his earthly father, Joseph, and especially his mother. We're going to see what it was like for her to be the mother of the Messiah. So, mothers, <laughs> imagine what a tall task that would be to be the mother of the Messiah. So, um, even though it would be interesting to know a lot more about Jesus as a boy, this is what we have. God has given us this one story in the book of Luke, and we'll be content with what God has given us. So let's dig in. I want to show you some stages of growth. So this first stage that we're going to look at is Jesus growing from infancy to adolescence, going from infancy to adolescence. And we're in Luke chapter 2, and we'll, we'll start the story around verse 39. And this is picking up on the tail end of where we were last week. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now listen to this verse. We're going we're gonna to be in this verse quite a bit. Verse 40, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pause here for a bit. So these two verses are like a fast-forward button from baby Jesus to 12-year-old Jesus. And it skips over all 12 years of his life at this point in this, this one summary statement. And then in verse 40, just tells us these big categorical things, such as Jesus got bigger, he grew stronger, he became wiser, he enjoyed the favor of God. That's years 1 through 12 of Jesus' life. And then verse 40 gives us an opportunity to reflect on the doctrine of the incarnation, which is the doctrine of God becoming man. So Christian theology teaches us that Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He's one person, but he has two natures. There's a human nature, and there's a divine nature. And so in his divine nature, this means that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is equal with the Father. Jesus possesses all the attributes necessary for God. So that's to say that God the Father did not create Jesus. So Jesus existed with the Father prior to the incarnation. In fact, for all eternity, he was in union and fellowship perfectly with the Father and the Spirit. 
But in order to save us, Jesus took on flesh and he entered into humanity and he became a true human being. Now we call this the incarnation. Incarnation meaning that he took on flesh is what the word means. The divine being Jesus took on human flesh. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's the divine nature. Now, the human nature of Jesus, that means that Jesus is fully human also. So he was born in time and possessing all the attributes necessary for being a human. Now, one attribute that human beings have that God does not have is the capacity to change, to learn and to grow. So God, uh, the, the scriptures tell us that God does not change. Book of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God himself does not change. He never changes. He's always the same. However, human beings were created with the capacity for change. That was, it's part of our human nature. We are able to learn and to grow. So Jesus, in his divine nature, he cannot change. He's always the same. He's already perfect. But in his human nature, he can change because he had to grow up. He had to go from a boy to a man. So Jesus wasn't born as an adult, right? That would be hard on his mother. Jesus was born as a baby, and he had to grow up and become a man. So to, to gain this strength and acquire knowledge was, was part of the human experience that Jesus entered into. It's part of him emptying himself, as Philippians 2.7 says. Now, why would he do this? Well, the scriptures tell us that Jesus did it for our sake. He did it in order to save us. Jesus became like one of us in order to save us. He entered into fully the human experience because that was necessary to be the mediator between God and man. So this is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, meaning our, our human, natural human weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus became one of us in order to save us. Now, verse 40 tells us that part of his human experience was that he grew, he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom. And that's a, that's a trajectory that we see. We have infant Jesus who was small and weak, and didn't, uh, humanly speaking, didn't have uh, much knowledge as a baby. But in those things, there was a trajectory of his growth. He grew bigger. He, he grew stronger. He acquired knowledge. He learned. He grew. And that's in his human nature, he was able to undergo change and growth. Now, if, if that causes your head to explode a little bit, that's fine. Because it's, that's, there's no way we can really comprehend the mechanics of how this works. So it's okay that we don't understand it. We can simply affirm and acknowledge what the scripture gives us. The point being here that verse 40 shows us a growth pattern that is what is God's design for humanity. Jesus was unfallen. He's perfect. And so an unfallen, perfect human went through this growth pattern of becoming stronger, growing, acquiring knowledge, gaining wisdom, and being in the favor of God. Now, this growth pattern took place throughout Jesus' life as he grew from a baby into an adult. Now, we'll return to that 
idea when we get to the end because there's another verse at the end that's very similar to this one. But for now, we'll move into the second stage of growth. The second stage is emerging adulthood. First stage is infancy to adolescence. The second stage I would call emerging adulthood. Now let's read verse 41. Let's hear this story, through this part of the story. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Let's pause here. So it says every year they did this. So this was an annual custom. And Luke is demonstrating for us that Joseph and Mary are faithful Jewish uh, parents, faithful Jewish man and woman of God. So every year they made this trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Luke gives us this little time indicator that Jesus was 12 years old. Now this is significant because the Jewish tradition at the time was that all boys were required to observe the entire Old Testament law by the time they reached the age of 13. So that's a, that's a significant step. When you reach the age of 13, at that time, you're required to observe the law. So 13 essentially was the age upon which Jewish boys became men. At age 13, they were treated like men. They were, they were expected to handle man responsibilities. Now, of course, they still did this under the watchful eye of their parents, so it's not like in our day when your kids become an adult and they leave and, you know, you, know, you, you see them and text them every once in a while. It's like, no, there's still, there's, there's these responsibilities, but still under the watchful eye of their parents. So it's, there, there's this, this uh, transition period where these boys learn how to become men. Their fathers would guide them through their, uh, this process and teach them how to act. Nevertheless, by the time they reached the age of 13, they were expected to know the law and to keep the law and to be held accountable for it. So this tradition, I mean, remains to this day where there's a celebration of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, um, where it's, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a celebration of this child becoming an adult, essentially, although you know, the particulars of it are, are different in our day, but it's a ceremonial rite of passage. And I personally think that as evangelicals, we're, we're impoverished for not having these sort of rituals that mark milestones and transitions through life. And that was something that they had uh, as part of their tradition. But it would be great if we had these more concrete, visible manifestations of a transition point that can help a child know, hey, you're being affirmed in this stage of life. So there's wisdom in these ancient traditions, and I think, I think we've lost something uh, by, by not having them. Nevertheless, verse, 30, verse 43 tells us Jesus stayed behind. His parents had gone back towards Nazareth, traveled a day or so. But verse 43 says, Jesus stayed behind. And not only that, his parents, they went a day's journey. Now, a day's journey, um, you could average 20 to 25 miles in a day. So that was a pretty significant distance that they had traveled. Now, you might think, you know, well, Joseph and Mary, maybe they were being irresponsible parents for not noticing that their son was missing. 
after all of this time. Last Sunday after church, um, you know, my daughter, Reese, she's 16 now, so she uh, drives home. Um, or she, she can drive. She's got, she uses my car now. So after church, um, she was like, well, I want to go home, and she knows where I parked. Laura was here, so I just said, well, just take my car, grab the kids, you know, and take them home with you, and Laura and I will be home later. So um, Laura and I, we stayed around. We talked talk for a lot of people, and so we leave, you know, after the 11, and, you know, it's, you know, probably 1.30 or so when I get home and standing in the kitchen, and my phone rings, and I look, and it's David Borison, and I'm like, why is David calling me like on a Sunday afternoon when I just was with him like five minutes ago? And I'm thinking, there may be something wrong. I better pick up the call. So I call Dave, or Dave, I pick up the phone, and David's like, hey, man, what you doing? <laughs> uh, just got home. Um, how are you? <laughs> and he said, do you have all your children? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I seem to recall... Reese telling me that she couldn't find Owen. And uh, sure enough, we'd left Owen at church. Now, I, uh, fortunately, you know, David was just like, well, I'll bring him home. And he was home 10 minutes later. But I'm thinking, you know, before I feel real bad about it, I'm like, at least we're not like Kevin's parents, who were like halfway to Paris before they realized they left him home alone. I'm like, we're not that bad, okay? <laughs> so we're... It's just 10 minutes away. We would have figured it out eventually. But, but you know, Joseph and Mary, they had this, this thing where they had left in this group. You know, and of course, verse 44 says they traveled with this group and probably a large traveling party. And they got aunts and uncles and cousins. I mean, he's a lot of people. And Jesus is 12 years old. I mean, like he's, he's old enough to know where he's supposed to be. And, you know, and, and so... It's, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal that they didn't notice him. They figured, like, well, I'm sure he's with somebody. But at the end of that day, they're like, we don't know where Jesus is. So they're not being irresponsible. They trusted him. He was old enough to, you know, take on manly responsibility. So it wasn't a big deal that they couldn't find him. He's able to take care of himself. But then, you know, they made this trip every year of their lives, too. So you know, Jesus would have known kind of the way that they did this. So... Um, Let's see what happened, like where, where Jesus ended up. Let's, let's go to verse 46 and find out where Jesus is. After three days, well, just get that. <laughs> three days, you have no idea where your kid is. So after three days, where am I? Okay, here we go. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. If you're going to lose your kid for three days, if he shows up in church, you know, you could do worse, right? So he's in the temple. That's pretty good. And, all, uh, and, and he was... I'm losing my place again. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So just like we saw last week, the temple shows up at this pivotal moment. The temple is this featured backdrop of what happens here. Now, this time in the temple, Jesus is sitting among the teachers, He's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. And not only that, everyone listening to him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he's actually teaching the teachers in a way. Jesus knows his stuff. Now, remember, verse 40 said the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 
So Jesus' superior wisdom and understanding was now on display against these high, or amongst the highly trained teachers of the temple. So think about this. Jesus is 12 years old, 12-year-old boy. He's teaching the teachers already, already filled with wisdom and wisdom that they would recognize is like, man, this kid, he knows what he's talking about. That's pretty impressive. So instead of traveling in this caravan with his family, here Jesus is in the temple, asking questions, answering questions with the experts of the law. Verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So at last, after three days of not knowing where he is, they traveled all the way back to Jerusalem, searching the city and finding him finally in the temple. Jesus was found. And at this point, it had been three days. He'd been missing for three days. And Mary did what any mother who had been missing her child for three days would do. She freaked out. She said, Jesus, what were you thinking? Where have you been? Why do you treat us this way? We've been losing our minds out here looking for you everywhere. And of course, why would she do that? She loves her son. I mean, she's worried about him. After all, he's special. He's God's anointed child. It had been prophesied over him. This child is the Messiah. He's got important things that he needs to grow up and do. Naturally, she wants to protect him. Naturally, she wants to make sure he's safe and secure. And so when she finally finds him, she asks him this question, why would you treat us this way? That seems like a fair question. Seems like a, a reasonable thing for a mother to say to her son. Verse 49, we see Jesus' response. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Don't read this as Jesus back-talking. <laughs> He's not being a smart aleck. He's not mouthing off to his mom. There's something deeper going in, on here. We don't need to perceive any disrespect whatsoever towards his mother. After all, there are still the Ten Commandments, and number five still said, you must honor your father and your mother. What Luke is doing is, in this interchange between mother and son, he's highlighting something that we need to pay attention to. Verse 48, Jesus, or Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you, Verse 49, in the response, Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. It's not Joseph's house. It's his heavenly father's house. That, that's a deliberate connection that Luke is making in his writing of this, and it's emphatic. The language is emphatic here. Calling God my father, that would have been a jarring thing to hear. You know, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 4, Israel as a people, as a nation, they're called God's firstborn son. And so they would have seen God as our father. And whenever Jesus teaches to pray, he teaches us to pray our father. There's a collective uh, sense of the fatherhood of God over all of his people. But no one would have personally called God my father. That's, that's unusual. That does stand out. 
And so in Jesus' actions at this point, and this statement in particular, Jesus is claiming something for himself. He's claiming something unique. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is personally, in his own life, taking up the mantle of sonship. And he's identifying himself personally with a role that was previously assigned to the nation, and now he's saying, this is my father's house. I am the son. Now, I want to make two observations here practically about Jesus' relationship with his mother and about parenting in general. So here's the first one. This, this is stage three where we're asserting independence. This is what a child does. It's a stage where a child is asserting this independence. First observation here, Jesus was asserting a measure of independence from his mother. Notice he doesn't apologize. Oh, sorry, mom. Didn't realize, I, where did the time go? You know, I'm here hanging out and lost track of time. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again, mother. He does not apologize to his mother. Now, that's not because he's stubborn, but it's because he, he did nothing wrong. And that's, that's kind of, I think whenever we read this as modern parents, it's like it, it reads a certain way to us that just seems like you should, you should at least acknowledge that. You know, you should at least acknowledge that. No, he's perfect. He did nothing wrong. This, what he did was entirely appropriate. And that's, that's the mystery here. And that's what we're exploring. He was asserting some independence from his mother. From our perspective, 12 years old might seem like that's a bit young for him to just disappear and go wandering through a city. But Jesus was ready for it. The, the expectations were, were pretty similar for a kid uh, you know, in their culture at this age. You know, he's right on the cusp. He's almost 13. It's, it's about the time whenever he would have been, when any boy would have been presumed to be old enough to know and to keep and to be responsible for keeping the law. So he was at this proper age where boys become men. He's beginning to act like a man. He's taking on a manly responsibility. And typically, the way children do this, boys in particular, but children in general do this, is they assert independence. And that's good and healthy for kids to do that. It'll drive the parents crazy, but it's good and healthy for the kids to assert independence because they're standing on their own. And parents, it's a challenge for, for parents because they're it's difficult to let go. It's difficult to let this, this child assert independence when it's like, you don't know what I know. You have no idea what I've been through, young man. What makes you think you can just go wandering around the streets of Jerusalem and night? you could get mugged? You know, who knows what could happen? But it's a good thing for a child to begin to assert independence because they're, they're starting to grow into adulthood. And that's a healthy stage for them. They're beginning to establish some appropriate boundaries. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was establishing an appropriate boundary between himself and his parents. Because gaining independence from his parents was necessary for him in order to cast that dependence more fully on God. And that's the way it is with any of our children. We have to gain some independence from our parents in order to cast that dependence more fully on God. So as a child, his mother and father provided for all of his human needs, but that's not meant to be a permanent state. They need to grow out of that. They need to grow, become strong. They need to be filled with wisdom. 
And in such, they're pursuing the favor of God. That's, that's a growth trajectory for a child. And that means the parent is going to be affected by it. The parents going to have to let him go. So as Jesus grew from a boy into a man, his relationship with mom and dad slowly receded into the background, while his relationship with his heavenly father slowly moved more into prominence in the foreground. And there it becomes permanent. That is, that is, he's entering back into the state that he knew from all eternity in this perfect union and fellowship with the Father and the Spirit before he entered into humanity. He's now growing as a human being back into that sort of union and fellowship. Arguably, you could say it becomes complete at his baptism when the Spirit descends upon him, but that's another story. But what we see here is Jesus growing up, a 12-year-old boy growing up in every way, physically, bigger, stronger, mentally, growing in wisdom. He's becoming a man as any human boy would. And spiritually, as he grows up, Jesus was beginning to demonstrate his self-awareness of his role, his identity as the Son of God, with his heavenly Father as my Father. He's the Messiah. Jesus could not fulfill his mission as the Messiah until he asserted some degree of independence from his mother and his father. That's the first observation. Here's the second one. Mary needed to begin adjusting her relationship to Jesus. Mary needed to begin adjusting her relationship to Jesus. That's not easy for moms to do. It's not easy for mothers or fathers. But I think it's, I think it's particularly a challenge for a mother and her children, and especially a mother and her son. Because the child came from within her. There is this attachment that a mother has with her child that a father doesn't quite, can't quite relate to, right? And so there's this attachment where a mother will always feel this motherly instinct to protect and, and nourish and, and, and or nurture and, and protect the child in that way. But that's what you do with an infant. That's not what you do with a grown-up. And so the grown-up child needs to begin to assert independence. And then the mother, the parent, needs to allow that to happen and adjust. So this interaction in the temple signaled a change in their relationship. Things needed to change between them. Not because Mary did anything wrong. She's doing what any, naturally, what any mother would do. But it was necessary for this change to happen in order for Jesus to fulfill his mission. So as strange as it might sound, Jesus, a 12-year-old Jesus, was instructing his mother. There's an awkward tension in that. That's awkward. For a child, a 12-year-old child, what we think is a 12-year-old child, if my 11 or 13-year-old boys try to instruct their mothers, I would take them to the Board of Education, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like that's, that's not the way it works, right? But that's Jesus. He's Jesus. He gets to do this, right? He, he's, he can instruct his mother. So Jesus was Mary's son, but he was becoming her savior. But to do so, he had to come into his own as a man. And move toward his role as, his Lord and sa- as her Lord and Savior. Now, the transition isn't complete just yet. He's still 12 years old. He still has more growing to do. But Luke gives us a window, kind of plops us in to where we can see this, this interesting little shift from one phase to the next where Jesus is asserting this independence. But in this story, it had begun... And now Mary is sort of in the position of having to adjust. 
It was time for her to move aside and, and allow the transition to take place, and that would be a step of faith for her. And so essentially, Mary would no longer be leading Jesus as his mother. He would begin leading her as her Savior. Here's, here's a parenting lesson in all of this. The parenting lesson is to keep the goal in view. Keep the goal of parenting in view. And the goal is to prepare children for adulthood. The goal is not to make them obey the rules, although that's good. The goal is not to keep them from smoking drugs or getting pregnant or not going to prison or whatever other thing you might imagine. Although those are things that we don't want to happen. That's part of it, but that's not the end goal. The goal is not, well, just go keep them alive till they turn 18 and then they're on their own. That's not the goal. The goal is to equip them with the skills that they need to function as adults. The goal is to send them out into the world ready to stand on their own two feet and to make wise decisions as grown-ups. Ultimately, the goal is to turn your sons and daughters into brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can interact with them as as, as, as the family of God and, and to allow them to, to enter into this realm where while they still honor you as mother and father, they're also a peer. They're a brother and sister in Christ. And you're teaching them to rely on their heavenly father to where there's this transition, this shift to where they are seeing their heavenly father as the ultimate one for whom they will eternally be dependent upon. Now, accomplishing this goal means that parents are going to need all the wisdom they can get. And parents, those of you who have kids, you know this, you need all the grace you can get because we screw it up all the time. There's lots of times I look, uh, you know, I look back on my kids. My kids are now uh, 16, 15, 13, and 11. And so I'm, I'm seeing this letting go happen, especially with my oldest, and, but I'm kind of grieving already at happening with my youngest. But this is, this is what it is. And we need wisdom. And I look back and I wish, like, man, I wish I would have done that different. I wish, I wish I understood then what I understand now. And I think there is a strange grace of God in the fact that, you know, it's when you're young, you have the strength to keep up with little kids. But when you're young, you don't have the wisdom that you have as you get older. And so you learn a lot of things. And all, all, through, all throughout, you're like, totally dependent on God for, for the lives of your children all throughout. I've heard it said that parenting is this lifelong process of letting go. And that's hard to do because you love them. You know, there's a, I don't remember exactly the, the wording of it, but I heard somebody describe it. It's like, you know, you're holding a child's hand and then, you know, as they get older, you sort of, you just sort of let them go to where they're able to walk on their own, stand on their own. It's like, that's, that's a, a lifelong process of just letting them go. And you set them on this trajectory into adulthood. The proverb says, train up a child in the way you should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's a, that's a principle, not a promise or a guarantee, but it is a general truism that if you form within them this trajectory in their childhood, then as they get older, that's still there. You know, they... They, they kind of build a life around those things that they were taught in the earliest years. But over time, you release them into God's care, and then you learn to shift your role. You play a different role in their lives. Now, parents, like, 
we, we have to make tough decisions with our kids all the time. Because every kid is different, every parent is different, every set of circumstances is different. And the decisions that we make with our kids are often arbitrary. It's based on gut feelings and instincts, not necessarily careful strategies, and that's okay. I mean, it's good to have a strategy and not just wing it all the time, but you, there's a lot of things we do as parents where we're, it's like there's no answer for this. There's no rule book that tells me, oh, in this situation, I need to do that. It's a, a lot of times it's just like, you know what? This is just what I feel is the right thing to do right now, and that's the best you can do. And that's, there's grace in that. That's, that's what a lot of parenting is like. And so we're always walking by faith as well. We're trusting God with our kids, and then we're discerning how to walk this tightrope that we see Jesus and Mary uh, going through here, which is how much do I hold on and how much do I let go? What is this kid ready for right now? And you might like, my other kid was not ready, but this kid is ready, or vice versa, because there's going to be, every kid is different. And so all of these things, you kind of mash them up into this, this complicated mix of stuff that we call parenting, and we're like, man, we need God's grace upon grace upon grace, because we've been given this stewardship of a child's soul that, that will last forever. When they're little, we want to hold them, you know, right? We want to protect them. We want to keep them safe. And that's, it's easy to let that just become the modus operandi for the rest of their lives, where we're always just protecting and we're not, we're not releasing. We're not, we're not sending them out. We're not letting them encounter the world the way Jesus did. So it's a balancing act between being too permissive and too protective. And that's, that's the way it is. There's pros and cons with each. And it's not like, oh, you know, I mean, ceremonially, we might be like, okay, at age 13, this is what's going to change. You know, culturally, like, okay, at 16, you can drive, which is way too young in my opinion. I'm just, just saying, way too young. I have a 15-year-old boy who's about to drive. Let me tell you, that's way too young. Maybe when he's 30, we can talk about it, but Lord help us. But we have these ceremonial things that do kind of mark transitions, but that doesn't mean that every kid is ready for it at that age. But there's a wisdom that we have to inject into these situations. So in this story, what Jesus was doing is kind of signaling to his mom, hey, mom, this is where we're at on the timeline. I need to be in my father's house. It's time for me to assert some independence here. He was becoming a man. Let me just say one other thing about this. A boy emerging, his, ind- his, bo- his emerging independence is going to put an unusual strain on the relationship with his mother. I think a mother-son relationship is unusual in that there's, there's a particular strength. Because he has a stronger desire for independence than typically a girl would. And a mother is going to have a stronger instinct to protect because she sees that and also because she's a woman, so she has a more protective nature. And so there's a, that, that particular relationship is going to have, need some special attention. An overprotective mother can weaken her son if he's never really given the opportunity to experience potential dangers. Boys need adventure. They need to face danger to become strong, which is what Jesus did. He became strong. You get strong by doing hard things. You, do str- you become strong by facing adversity. You don't gain strength by reading about it in a book. You become strong by facing challenges and overcoming obstacles and becoming a there's this this overcoming that is necessary for somebody to get stronger. And that's what Jesus was doing. 
Boys also can be stupid. So there's a reason why the mother has a protective instinct and why she's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't jump that ramp or ride down that hill or, you know, swim with crocodiles or whatever it is you might think is a cool idea at the moment. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a balancing act here that needs to be managed. Boys' love of adventure can get them killed, and so it takes wisdom from the mother to know what's he ready for and what's he not ready, ready for, and that's where we need grace and wisdom to make wise decisions. But over time, a healthy mother-son relationship will realign and adjust into a new normal, and that's healthy. And that's our, that's our final point, our stage four. Stage four is this relational realignment that takes place. Let's look at verse 50 to 52. I want you to notice how 50, verse 52 sounds very similar to verse 40. So, and they did not understand the saying that Jesus spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So after this exchange in the temple, things settle back into a new normal between Jesus and his parents. Joseph and Mary, it says here, they didn't understand, right? So there's this, this common theme throughout the book of Luke where people don't understand something Jesus does. And then it says of Mary that she treasured up these things in her heart. So it it was something that she reflected on. It's something that she, she really considered. She took it to heart. But then it says of Jesus that he did go with them and he submitted to them. Again, the fifth commandment is still in effect. He's, they are still his earthly father and mother. And so he honored them by submitting to them. Now, verse 52 is very similar to verse 40. Verse 40, if you'll recall, it says he, he grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So at the temple, Jesus asserted something, a new normal. And that new normal is that he was now about to be, the, he was about to be about the business of the father. That was his priority. And so his relationship with Joseph and Mary would now be governed by his calling to obey the will of his heavenly father. Now, the last thing I want us to talk about here is just how verse 40 is like a template for Christian growth, because we're all on this, in this process. Jesus, the perfect human, is showing us what un, uh, unfallen, perfect humanity could look like. And it's not all knowledge, all wisdom, everything all set in place from day one. It's a steady process. Even a perfect human that is sinless and unfallen even he could change and grow throughout the course of his life. So what we see in verse 40 is the kind of change that can happen in a person's life when sin is not in charge. Now, whether you're a parent or not, in Christ, you are a son or daughter of a heavenly father, and the life of Christ is mapped onto your life. That's what, mean, that's what it means to be in Christ. The life of Jesus is your life, and his life is mapped onto your life. And so going back to where we started, the capacity to change, that's a unique feature that God has given to humans that God does not have. God does not change. But human beings can change. That's a unique feature of the human race, even going back to the garden. With Adam and Eve, 
God created them with the capacity to change and to grow, to learn, to mature, to improve, even before the fall. In other words, what they were at the beginning was only the beginning of what they were destined to become. They were to change. They were to be transformed slowly over time into something better than where they started. And of course, they sinned against God and they changed in the wrong way. And they needed to be rescued from their sin. And so Jesus came in and he entered into the human experience and he underwent the change that should have been the pattern for all, all babies and all, all children after that. As a human, he underwent this change to save us and to redeem us. And then now, as redeemed humanity, he set us on this, this redeemed trajectory where we would grow and become strong and be filled with wisdom. That's now the trajectory of the Christian life. And so your human capacity to change means God created you to become much more than you are now. And since Christ has redeemed that human capacity for change, you can repent of sin. You can become better than you are now. But of course, not in your own strength, but through faith in Christ. Your change happens because you have a new heart. You've been, you've been uh, transformed and cleansed and you're indwelt by the Spirit. And now having this new heart, you can change in the power of Christ. And here's a little secret. The change that God will do in you doesn't stop when you die. But it's a change that will continue on forever. Let me read you. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. In other words, it's not as though when you die, you instantly plop into heaven and you're at your peak. You're as good as you're ever going to get. You know everything, and you're strong and smart, and you know everything is as good as it's going to be. That's not, that's not the way humanity works. We're all on a trajectory being transformed from the initial degree of glory into another degree of glory, and then another degree of glory, and then another degree of glory. It's getting better and better and better and continually improved, changing on this growth trajectory forever. That's what Christ has purchased for us. To where whenever we enter into eternity, that's where we enter into this new realm of sinless human potential. Where for the first time, your human potential is unimpeded by sin and by living in a fallen world. And so the eternal state that we enter into is not static. You'll never get bored because your transformation will never be complete. There's always more Christ-likeness to enter into. The ocean of Christ-likeness is vast and it's endless and you'll never reach the limits of what God plans to do in your life. And for all eternity, you will be ever changed and transformed into that likeness. So if you're a Christian today, this is the trajectory of your life. This is what you are destined for. This is where you are headed. You will be glorified with him. And so what you are right now today that's just the beginning of what you are destined to become. And for all eternity, you'll never stop getting better. For all eternity, you'll always be growing, always improving, always learning, always becoming. Because that's humanity as God intended.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful story of the perfection of Christ and the, the growth that he underwent as a human, and he did it for our sake. We thank you, Jesus, that you lowered yourself and became one of us in order to save us from our sin. Lord, we pray for our children, for those that are in kids' ministry downstairs, for those in this room, those that are uh, in utero, those yet to be born, but you already know their names. We pray, Lord, for these children to to be set on that growth trajectory and to become more like Christ and to be transformed into his likeness and for these parents to have all the grace and wisdom they need to equip their children for adulthood, for Christian maturity, to teach and catechize and pray with and instruct and discipline and correct in all the ways that parents need to do. Help and strengthen these parents, Lord, as they do that. And we thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, God, that you have filled us with your spirit and that we have the power of God within us. Teach us, Lord, moment by moment what to do, how to live. And Lord, we eagerly await the eternal state where the fun really begins, where we're finally unimpeded and we're able to, to be changed day by day, where every day is a new surprise, a new, a new gift, a new glory to experience. Teach us to eagerly long for that, to anticipate it. And from now until then, prepare us for that day. And Lord, we pray now as you meet us at the table that we will enjoy that fellowship with you. Convict us of sin and transform us into your likeness today. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.